This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Are you ready for the show? Always. But are you ready? All always? Like what do you what's the answer you're looking for? I'm engaging in some Socratic teaching. Are you ready? Yes. But are you? Yes, I am though. Wait, what other because questions I am I re- supposed to ask? <laughs> I don't like I answered it. I think you're done. I think you've successfully executed the Socratic method. Oh, is that how okay. <laughs> yeah. I thought it just went good. on forever. No, no. That's no. No. This is a good bit. This is really good. It's a good bit. The listeners at home and also our guests all heard me trolling you with the Socratic method earlier. And so it really like I think they all assume that it happened. <laughs> if they've been listening to the show for a while, they can assume mm-hmm. Certain things are true. Mm-hmm. Like, this is Overdue. It's a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read and that my name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And we have a guest whose name is... Hi, my name is Lucas Brown. I'm a host of a podcast called The Math of You, in which I've interviewed both these two... In which I've interviewed both these two jokers, and neither of them mentioned Socrates jokers. at all. Although Craig did mention wrestling. I thought you were doing an extended DX bit where you were just going to snarl, are you ready at oh, the end I of it? I could. But you probably shouldn't. No, I probably shouldn't. <laughs> that wouldn't be Let's wise. Let's talk about John Cena, though. John Cena's a good ba, guy. Ba, ba, yeah, he's, he's good at wrestling ba, and ba, at acting. Ba, he's and a cross, a transmedia superstar. <laughs> one of his other medias is j- short, jorts, right? Like Except he's good at j- jorts. jorts. and fine sneakers. And also his Instagram account <laughs> His Instagram account is incredible because it's like pictures of clip art or like weird stolen memes and never any captions. It's like this Dadaist nightmare. Oh, man. Hmm. I'm into cool. that. I'm into John Cena's Instagram. Um, So, Lucas, tell us a little bit more about yourself and the kind of stuff that you like to read and what, what your deal is. And then let's talk about the thing that you read. <laughs> well, uh, I'm... I'm a pretty voracious reader. I tend to tear st- through stuff pretty quickly. Uh, but... The reason I'm on the show today is because I read a lot of comic books. Uh, mm-hmm. I am a person who is very, very into comic books and initially started when I came to Australia after being sort of kind of dabbling in comic books when I was in in Canada when I was growing up. When I came to Australia, it became a way that in my first year when I had no money, wasn't allowed to work or study and had to basically wait until uh, my girlfriend at the time got off work before I could do anything, I would just sit and endlessly read Uh, comic book synopses and character profiles and then I would go to comic book shops and read them on the shelves until they kicked me out so it became kind of this primer and as for what I was reading today um, it's essentially the comic that I'm reading today is considered capital I important by a lot of people so thinking about the premise of your show about books that you've been meaning to read this is a book I've been meaning to read so we're going to be talking about All-Star Superman by Grant Morrison so why 
why is this imp- – well, this is like Grant Morrison's important on his own, right? Is that mm-hmm. true? Certainly, he's like, yes. He's like – he came out around Neil Gaiman, I think. I'm just – I'm not a comics guy. <laughs> That's I, okay. He was – yeah, he was a uh, part of a British invasion of of American comics. So Gaiman and Alan Moore and Peter Milligan and Jamie Delano and a bunch of other people, like all taking our comics, taking <laughs> jobs away from hardworking American writers and artists. Absolutely. And what ended up happening was you got a lot of these hotshot young English uh, authors who hotshots. Were, yeah, because they they were doing things like 2000 AD, which were kind of. Uh, pushing the envelope of what could be done with comics, and they were brought over to American comics. And for the most part, they were given sort of these sideline characters like Swamp Thing or, you know, Sandman or Black Orchid or um, Animal Man, all these kind of oddball D-list characters. And they're like, oh, well, can we you know, talk this- about can we talk yeah. about Animal Man for a second? Animal Man's not a very good like why can't. They couldn't even pick a specific animal for him oh, to Oh, no, be. because well, just, he has the powers of the all of the man. animals. Any animal within a specific radius, he has their skills and abilities. Oh, no, it's a stupid character, and it's accepted <laughs> as to be a stupid highly, character. like, contextually. Like, what if you're trying to break into a prison or something, and the only animals around are, like, worms or something? Like, oh. something that's just totally not useful for the situation at hand. See, if that were Golden Age Animal Man, that would be a problem. Grant Morrison's Animal Man is like ruthlessly inventive, and so if it was an earthworm, he'd probably get cut in half and grow into two new people. That's or, awful. I hate it. Or he'd it. burrow through the earth. <laughs> or uh, if it was like an ant, he'd be able to lift something multiple times his size, but also be able to communicate through smells. Um, hmm. And so what Grant Morrison I feel like the worm, like your the, your weakness as an earthworm man though would be getting <laughs> caught on a sidewalk after the rain. <laughs> Small side note, in Australia, we don't have earthworms after it rains. We have snails, and that's a nightmare waiting to happen. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But no, what what a lot of these authors did is they took uh, an outsider's perspective and so made these very interesting comics out of these D-list characters. And that cemented them as, the again, these sort of restlessly inventive characters. Like Animal Man, for example, became this fourth-wall-breaking very interesting meta commentary on the nature of the comic book. And at one point, there's a very famous panel where uh, Animal Man, a page turn reveals that Animal Man is pointing directly at the reader and he screams, I can see you, which is very cool. And the thing is, it's now been done to death. Quit, close the book. <laughs> exactly. It's it's the monster at the end of this book for animal-themed superheroes. Okay. And the thing is, now meta narratives have been done to death. But at the time, no one had done that before. Okay. Okay. And so he he worked his way up in the 80s, right? And he wrote some Batman. He wrote like the Arkham Asylum graphic novel that everybody likes. He wrote some Judge Dredd, because why not? He got the Justice League in 96. His JLA run is very highly regarded, yes. Yeah. uh, Some Flash, etc. And then he also wrote a comic book called The New Adventures of Hitler, so that's cool. (laughs) I mean... Comics, Andrew, anything's possible. I know anything's possible, but should anything be possible? <laughs> we never asked if we should. Yeah, the it's answers the... to those questions, uh, <laughs> respectively, are yes and probably not. It's my favorite thing about the Wikipedia. Like, Wikipedia's dry, like, very dry academic approach to its subject matter is funny in cases like this, where the, the it's a very short article, and it just says, main characters, Adolf Hitler. 
<laughs> so then in the late 90s, we end up with uh, Morrison kicking around this idea for Superman. Now, I saw the story of him and another editor of his like hanging out at Comic-Con and they're coming up with a Superman idea and they see this guy dressed as Superman crossing the train tracks and they like he looked like Superman like he was built like Superman so they run over to him and they start asking him questions and they ask him to like be be Superman like he <laughs> he answers the questions as if he's Superman and they talk to him for like an hour and a half and then he like walks away uh and this gets to a, another quote about this story, Andrew, that I know you wanted to talk about. Because th- this is like regarded by Morrison as the influence for this run on Superman. So do you want do you want to share this quote, Andrew? Yeah, this is this is Morrison in an interview with Newsarama. Yep, which I'm sure is a re- reputable outlet, <laughs> or maybe it's just one I haven't heard of. I don't know. Um, he was perched with one, and this is Morrison talking about that Superman guy. He was perched with one knee drawn up, chin resting on his arms. He looked totally relaxed, and I suddenly realized this was how Superman would sit. He wouldn't puff out his chest or posture heroically. He would be totally chilled. If nothing can hurt you, you can afford to be cool. A man like Superman would never have to be tense against the cold, never have to flinch in the face of a blow. He would be completely laid back, untense, with this image of Superman relaxing on a cloud, looking out for us all in my head. I rush back to my hotel room and fill dozens of pages of my notebook with notes and drawings. I think that's an interesting idea. Yeah, sure. Both because it makes me think of, like, what if Superman, like, vapes? What if Superman is really into vaping? <laughs> and he's just totally chill all the time. Um, what if Superman vaped, though? What if What if he vaped all the time? And also, I don't buy this because Superman has to be <laughs> Clark Kent. He's sure. already like his disguise is already really tenuous and bad. And like, of course, he's going to have to learn to like mimic human reactions to to things like getting hit and being cold or else everybody's going to be like, wait, do I know you from somewhere? <laughs> oh, trust me. We'll get into that a little bit later. There is. I also. Well, well, I'm sure every Superman comic writer now makes some dumb joke about how bad the disguise is. Like, I'm, I'm yeah, I bet. sure that's been done to death. But. Well, but he also like grew up. As a little boy who had, like, human parents. So, like, I understand there's something about this image of him that I really like. Like, what it what would being invulnerable do to your psyche in the same way that, like, vampire stories often wax about, like, what immortality would do to, like, your moral compass. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also, like, grew up with some, like, pretty good human parents. Yeah, and the, the whole the thing best is, human parents. Yeah. Yeah. They were the best of us. Um that they he's like got a soft spot for humanity because it took care of him as a superboy and so his job is to protect us there's there's a really good bit in the superman animated series from the late 90s which came out around the same time as batman the animated series and isn't quite as highly regarded where superman gives a speech that he's essentially living in a world where everything's made of cardboard and if he's ever not careful or ever forgets himself he can he has to be he can cause damage with the slightest movement it's that idea like you said of being invulnerable but because he's superman rather than being aloof it makes him exceptionally careful and makes him care that much more hmm i bought i i could see that yeah if you were like a good a good superboy yeah sure and not a bad superboy uh unlike that um, man of steel superboy that you keep talking about wow well, yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, whose whose mother told him you don't owe these people anything, which is how you get the Zack Snyder Superman. <laughs> oh, come and it's on. like, oh Jesus. Okay, Mama um, Kent. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So like the the but the the creative impetus for All Star Superman, I guess, was like trying to create some Superman stories that were kind of timeless and not like tied down by continuity and that maybe would not be really impenetrable and hard to get into for people who didn't read comics, which I think is like, it's gotta be a pretty common concern for all these like long running franchises is like, how do you grow the audience when it's so hard to like get into the work and, and like know anything about any of the relationships or any of the characters it's like kind of a double-edged sword in that way when you have literally 75 years of continuity well Mm. it's yeah it's kind of why i'm i've fallen off those marvel films you and i were talking about this the other day andrew it's like i i understand the seduction of them all being connected and being part of a big thing but after you miss two of them like that actually becomes a turnoff like that's like i can't that's a party I am late to, yeah. and now I'm not and, going. I'm just going to order some food and stay home. <laughs> like, well, yeah, and that, and that's that's a problem too. Like, because my my deal with them is not even that, not even like the continuity thing so much as I find like most of them to be like B minus action movies that I don't really remember anything about the minute I walk out of the theater. And so, <laughs> if you do like in a comic or in a movie series like that, if you do have an entry or two that just like turns people off of it that's an opportunity for them to drop out and then not want to come back even if they're, you know, even if one looks better than the, than the ones that made you stop watching or reading or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's fraught is what it is. Yeah. So Lucas, talk to us about this particular book. Like what is it? What is this story? And what is it? I mean, the main question I'm probably going to want to come back to a couple of times is like, and this was written by, Morrison and drawn by Frank Quitely, which is the pen name of Vincent. How would you pronounce that, Craig? D e i g h a n. Dan. Dan. Something. And yeah, his yeah, and Frank Quitely is. I I figure this out before we confirm that this is what it was, but it's a weird, like mix up of quite frankly. Yeah, it's a pretty good. <laughs> I had actually never thought of that. It's a pretty good. No, and I was like, you know, that's pretty good. Except I hate it. I hate <laughs> it so much. I hate everything about it. But the thing I'm going to want to know is like, as we talk about this story, Lucas is like, how is, how is like the narrative or what's being like, what actually happens, kind of attempting to not reboot Superman, but just like give us a Superman that's not bogged down by super baggage. So like, what, what is this story? What is it? Okay, well, essentially, with the All-Star Comics line, uh, the only other one that came out was All-Star Batman and Robin the Boy Wonder, which was astonishingly terrible. Frank Miller, okay. isn't it great that you never wrote anything after The Dark Knight Returns? Isn't that fantastic? You never came around and did Sin City or any of that garbage. Um, but basically what it's done is it's taken 75 years of Superman continuity, and like if you think of it like this huge junkyard, it's taken it and it's squished it into this you know, Superman-like, it's taken all of that coal and it's squished it into a diamond. And okay. that diamond has aspects of everything that's happened. It's got slivers of all these things that make so much sense if you know everything. But it's also a beautiful thing in its own right. So what the story is, essentially, in a nutshell, or in a diamond, is that Superman 
is dying. Oh. He, and so this is all the stuff he wants to do before he dies. What is he dying of? Like kryptonite poisoning or what? No, what <laughs> ends what up happening happened? is that he saves a ship that's um, sort of exploring the sun. It's being explored by this sort of super scientist named Leo Quintum. And it's kind of like the movie Sunshine, only less dreary at the end. And <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but partway through, uh, what, and, and this is one of the most Grant Morrison-y sentences I have ever written or read. Uh, partway through, one of the crew realizes he is a genetically engineered suicide bomber. And he starts mm. mutating and growing and declares that he is death courtesy of Lex Luthor. And Superman has to fly out to the sun and save the ship. And in doing so, he actually is bathed in enough solar radiation, which normally gives him strength. But it's so much that it overloads him. And while it, it supercharges him and gives him more power, it also is slowly causing cell death. And as such, like he is given essentially a death sentence. And says okay. at a certain point, you're going to die. So he has so like, it's like how one piece of cake is good, but if you eat like 10 pieces of cake, you'll want to die. Exactly. Or, you know, how <laughs> morphine can kill pain, but if you take like a ton of it, you're just going to go to sleep and die. Sun Sunshine is a sometimes food, Andrew, is what I'm learning. That is as somebody who writes about technology and works from home. <laughs> yes, I, I am well aware of the dangers of sunlight and I've modeled my entire life around it. Okay, so it starts off Superman knows he's going to die. Well, actually, and that's like um, the beginning of the book? That's the very beginning of the It's the first issue. Because this is 12 issues, and it came out okay. monthly over a year. Cool, uh, cool, and cool. if you guys want to actually jump into the Dropbox and look at a file that I've just marked number one. So one of the really one of the iconic things that this book has done, and this has been um, – lauded and parodied and so much since then is it takes the entire superman origin story and it boils it down to four panels and eight words and so you have doomed planet desperate scientists last hope kindly couple and then when you turn the page and if you guys can go to uh not the one directly after but the next one you'll see just superman okay. flying on the just like looking like a boss Superman. Just look at him he go. Looks, he looks bored. Like, man, this is, this is no, fine, I guess. He's smiling. Because <laughs> what happens is those eight words make up pretty much like an equation. And when you turn the page, you don't even have to put the word Superman. You just show him. Because uh, Yeah. Yeah, I buy that. Because that is what you get. Like, Batman is like rich parents, scared boy, homeless guy gunshot bats like right <laughs> like that's i feel like that's, pretty much like you you're you're spending too much time for that one panel it'd be like dead parents <laughs> rich guy sure bat bat time why robin. so serious why so robin, so robin robin now robin time bird boy okay yeah. okay all right so uh, super but i like i like that i like the I like the simplicity of his origin story there because he knows it. He doesn't need to tell you about it. And we all know it. Like, Jesus. Exactly. And it's and the story of origin stories. No more origin stories. It's one of those things where it's like it's and because this is a character that's 75 years old, literally everyone knows it. So it's sure. this idea that um, that first page is this primer where it's like 
look, we don't need to tell you this. You know this. This is why you're here. Okay. Uh, so Superman realizes he's dying. And so the first thing he does is he reveals his identity to Lois Lane, who, by the way, writes all of the headlines that Superman has saved someone, or has saved the day before they happen because her, tr- her trust in him is implicit. Which I think, from a journalistic standpoint, is not great. You should not be writing that's the headlines like, before it happens. Th- wait, but, that's like yeah, fake, that's like pretty compromising. Some fake, fake news. news. <laughs> fake news. <laughs> oh no, Lois. Oh, this just got too real. <laughs> but okay, um, so and she's so like, Lo- Lois is writing these headlines for Breitbart or whatever, and <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but so wait, so now Superman's like, "Yo, you married a Kryptonian. Good luck." No, no, because in, in this particular, like I said, this this is not an incontinuity story because they have been married in the mainstream comics. In this one, this happens in sort of the the er continuity, which is that oh, she she loves Superman and doesn't notice Clark Kent, and so Clark okay, Kent, okay. who she is sort of friends with, at one point just opens up his shirt and there's the Superman logo, and the reveal is shown <laughs> just that she's dropped her groceries, and that's, that's a the end boss of the move. Yeah, and. Maybe if she paid attention to Clark Kent, she would have figured out that he was Superman like 100 years ago. Well, actually, I'll jump into the Clark Kent thing just for a moment. Now, Frank Whiteley is a particular type of artist in that he goes for a fairly realistic style. He is not super over the top in the way he draws a lot of his superheroes. And when he draws Superman as Clark Kent, he makes a point of using the same mass of Superman. It's just sort of hunched over and crouched and kind of like when you take a photo with the front-facing camera by accident and your chin looks all squished in and you think, mm-hmm. oh, I'm actually a thumb that can have emotions. <laughs> and so it's like you're taking the same space as Superman, but you're twisting it in a way that Clark Kent looks like kind of like just a kind of fat dude in an awkwardly fitting suit. Mm-hmm. Uh, as So you could kind of understand that someone would look at Superman and look at Clark Kent and not realize they're the same person. So he got really good at like standing differently. Yes. And wearing glasses. Yeah, and it's funny because Clark Kent... I'm good at both of those things. <laughs> you you could crush that. I oh, could. Wait, wait, Craig, are, are you Superman? Um, I can't tell you. Okay. Just... Yeah. I, you no, do hate kryptonite, though. I, it's, it's true. I do. I never cook with kryptonite. I'm, I, it's, <laughs> I think I haven't... It's the cilantro of Craig's life. It tastes like soap, kryptonite does. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, um, and Clark Kent is always shown to be clumsy in pretty much all media. Like he's constantly dropping papers and stuff and, you know, tripping over electrical cords. And uh, what Morrison does as a writer is every time Clark Kent is clumsy, he's actually saving someone. Oh, weird. Okay. So it's like he'll be... Me too. Same. (laughs) There's a little retroactive continuity for for Andrew. <laughs> but it's this idea that, okay, every time he, he's tripping over a cord and dropping his papers, he's actually kicking out a cord that was frayed and was about to electrocute someone. That's or, very convenient. Well, the way it works out is, again, coming back to that sort of effortless Superman that is described in your little quote there where he's sitting on a cloud, is that for <laughs> someone, he would have to learn that clumsiness. And so... When he's doing it, he's never doing anything not for a reason. Okay, Superman isn't actually clumsy. Clumsiness is the act, but he's he's only ever okay. Okay, he's All only right. ever clumsy to save people. I see yeah. your game, Superman. Like it, it shows him being late to a deadline once, and um, 
his boss is going to fire him and he's late because he had to stop a, a kid from getting hit by a car. Like you and do. So, yeah, and so when he comes in and his, you know, his tie's undone and he's looking rumpled, it's because he has just been Superman to save someone and then he's turned up late as Clark Kent. Sure, sure, sure. Hmm. Or okay. like if he, like, so if someone's walking down the street with like a, a bag full of hamburgers and he falls over and the bag falls into a sewer, it's because the meat wasn't cooked long enough and it was going to give you food poison. I mean, or, Superman does have like superhuman smell, mm-hmm. so he would know. That well, they he were could probably bad like, burgers. Like, see the bacteria with his super eyes because he's invincible and can do anything except apparently kryptonite and being too close to the sun. <laughs> Although he does become immune to kryptonite later in this story due to his oh, exposure geez. to the sun. <laughs> so, so Lois is cool with him as Superman? Like, she's on board? Actually, actually not. There's a whole okay. second issue where she is not cool with it because she basically says that you have been lying to me twice Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. the entire time that i know you and this whole issue becomes an homage to some of those terrible silver age stories where uh lois lane is scheming and conniving and paranoid um you know trying to trick superman into marrying her marrying her or something like that uh oh yeah some of those yeah go to super dickery if you ever want to see some terrible stories about that i'm so tired of going to weddings and hearing the stories about how they trick each other into being in love yeah, so th- so this story basically he takes her to the fortress of solitude and he shows her uh, like his armory and his little zoo that he has there and his time telescope with which he can communicate with the Superman of eight hundred thousand fifty three and four fifty A D, which is a masked Superman whose only question is who is J Lo? What? <laughs> I have no I have no response. I it can't. makes exactly as much sense in context. Perfect. Um, so, but the thing is, while she's there, she's, she sees a room where it's got like an entire x-ray of her body and, uh, there are all these robots working in there and she gets really paranoid and eventually, uh, thinks that he's trying to abduct her and, oh, he lied about this. What could he, else could he be lying about? And she eventually shoots him with a kryptonite laser that she finds. Luckily, he's immune just in time. Boy, that escalated pretty quickly, though, well, didn't it? it? It's actually done fairly realistically. It's like someone's just been told oh. that their entire... <laughs> it's, just how, it's just how a real superhero would be shot with a kryptonite gun. No, as in it, her her escalation to paranoia is shown very easily. It's believable. Yes. Yeah, completely. Yeah, okay. To sure. the point where it's like, oh, yeah, this person who's lied to me the entire time I've known them, I don't actually know them, I guess. Yeah, so, that's true. Okay. And there's all this weird stuff around. They could be planning anything. Uh, but it's revealed that he was, in fact, making her a superwoman outfit and developing a serum that gives her his powers for a day. That's his birthday gift to her, is that she can become superwoman for a day. Uh, yeah, That's but wouldn't, day, doesn't that gift give you, like, a lifetime of not feeling that good? Like, isn't there, like, a bad gift that comes along with that <laughs> serum wearing off? You'd think, actually, that that's something that is not developed in this book, but I've seen it in other places where it's like being that for a day will mess you up for the rest of your life. Yeah. yeah. What do you think the hangover from Super Serum is like? Oh, God. Oh, my gosh. It would, I think it would be sort of like when you're like ordering cocktails off of the seasonal cocktail menu and there's lots and lots of sweet liqueurs and you're like, I'll have five of these. You know, when it's like Halloween cocktail that's orange or green and the next day you're just like, I can feel all this sugar leaving my body. Yeah, like that. Uh, oh, I would never want to feel that normal ever again. That's <laughs> that's the problem. 
Okay, so then is does he make her super? Like, does that go? Yeah, he does. And there's a whole issue of him and her kind of fighting a monster together and, uh, you know, showing off against these two sort of super villain blowhards who are like like having this very silver agey, aha, if we can best you in this labor, uh, we'll win her heart. And she's like, guys, this is stupid. This is really dumb. <laughs> okay. But you that, keep saying silver agey. Yeah, like, silver for somebody who doesn't read comics, does that just mean like not as good or is it reference to specific storylines? It's, a, it's a specific were... time period. And that golden age would be around, like the way I always think of it in my head is, um, is golden age is always around World War II. So thinking about your Captain America and your Wonder Woman and your Superman stories from around that time are very simple one and done stories that are being sold at newsstands and being read by just about everybody. Uh, and then you get to Silver Age, which is where sales were declining and the stories got very silly and very nice after I could go into a very long conversation about Frederick Wortham and the seduction of the innocent and this idea that comics were causing juvenile delinquency. So the comics vi- code and whatnot. That's the one, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So things got very silly for a while. Uh, and that's when you get the Joker having, you know, giant death traps that are built like carnival rides or whatever. And so during that time, you got a lot of very silly Superman stories and lots of stuff being introduced like, you know, Crypto the Superdog and Comet the Super Horse and other such <laughs> things, which okay. one of those things is far better than the other. Crypto is awesome. Comet is stupid. Yeah. Okay. So, it's yeah, crypt- we it didn't... Makes me, it makes me think of a Batman TV show. My favorite, favorite, favorite thing, my favorite thing is that Bruce Wayne has a horse that he named Waynebow. <laughs> yes. Yes. If you haven't already, go to Twitter and look up Batman 66 labels, which is just all of the labels they've put on stuff, including uh, Gossip Radio and uh, it was, oh God, there was something else. Ask and drive me nuts. But, it, but yeah, it's up there with the shark repellent bat spray. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so like, and so Superman was... We didn't really talk about this, but Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster in 1933, and then Detective Comics, 1938, Action One, etc. So that's like, that feeds into what you're saying is the Golden Age, and then the Silver Age is like when he gets heat vision and... And learns to fly as opposed to leaping tall buildings in a single bound. The flying thing I heard was like, there were some animators in the 40s, the Fleischer brothers, who were like, hey... The whole like jumping thing's hard to draw. Can he just fly? <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, actually, it's surprising uh, that, that a lot of a lot of those uh, anime shorts and this the uh, George Reeves Superman series uh, on of TV serials um, mm-hmm. were actually responsible for codifying what we think of as su- a lot of Superman's powers. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, so the thing is, though, coming off that is that a lot of these middle issues of the twelve issue run are basically like little slices of some of those Silver Age adventures. Like they'll be... Okay. Because a lot of those early Jimmy Olsen stories, he would get turned into lots of stuff. Like <laughs> like uh, he, twice he's been a giant turtle man. He's been a werewolf. He was changed into a woman at one point. He would get like elastic superpowers and they would all snap back by the end of the issue. So you have uh, one issue where Jimmy Olsen is like doing an embedded reporter thing at a super science... Uh, institute and at one point is converted into a monster to stop a superman who has been affected by black kryptonite which makes him evil and it's while it is also an extremely silly one issue story it's also a reference to about 50 years worth of 
Jimmy Olsen turning into stuff, but also the death of Superman from the 90s. So again, that idea where Grant Morrison is compressing all of this into a fairly straightforward story, while also, if you know it, referencing lots and lots and lots of other stuff. Okay. And who can we just talk about Jimmy Olsen real quick? Like yeah. he works at the paper. Yeah, initially he, he was a, a cub reporter and then later they made him into a photographer, which was a great idea because a cub reporter would not be following an existing reporter everywhere they go. However, the idea of having him with a camera following Lois Lane or Clark Kent uh was okay. genius. So it's this idea okay. it gives him a reason to be there. Okay. So then when, when like Superman like flies in the room, like there's someone there to get it on. To get the snap. So think film. of him as both Peter Parker and Spider-Man. My brain just hmm. broke. I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so because the thing is, Peter Parker's gig is that he's a photographer yeah. and he's a freelancer and he gets all the good shots of Spider-Man because he is Spider-Man. That's a pretty good gig. Yeah. Jimmy Olsen was a photographer who was Superman's best friend. He was his pal. Okay. And so, and he had a watch that whenever he was in trouble, he would press a button and it would send an ultrasonic signal to Superman who would come and save him. Andrew, is there an app for that on the iPhone watch? The iPhone watch? No, there's not an app for that on the iPhone watch. <laughs> Sorry, is that not what it's called? I do kind of like, I think a lot of these, like the Peter Parker and like Peter Parker as Spider-Man doesn't work anymore because J. Jonah Jameson won his, like his dumb rag went out of business, like ages ago yeah well and two like everybody's just like vining spider-man anytime he's <laughs> doing anything like nobody yeah. nobody needs a photographer anymore exactly okay. so that's why more recent spider-man stories have made teenage peter parker into a web designer as opposed or to like a, a photographer youtube star or something okay Be- because it's more likely that a failing newspaper would hire some kid to run their damn website as opposed to you know an actual photographer sure mm-hmm. okay okay so he's 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 a web slinger. <laughs> oh, oh God! Get out! <laughs> you get say. out! Podcast over. <laughs> You're fired. Get out. Um. All right. Back to these Silver Age slices. Okay. So at one point, um, you know, there are some other Kryptonians <laughs> who turn up, and they that have been in a. a yes, you got to got to recover from this. I'm still yeah, laughing. Sure. You're a I criminal, said. Andrew. <laughs> You're history's greatest monster. <laughs> Attila the Hun, Genghis Khan, Andrew. Is Khan. there a version of Kryptonite that Superman like can't help himself but liking, but it still causes him pain? Because I feel like you, you Andrew, mean like if it was gluten or something. Well, yeah. Like, <laughs> is there like a, a version of Kryptonite that he really enjoys being around, but it causes him a lot of stress and <laughs> and discomfort at times cuz that what if he's just lactose intolerant but uh, he really loves ice cream okay cuz i'm trying to, to use this as a metaphor for my friendship with you andrew and i hope that's coming across <laughs> no i get it okay good are you ready are you sure yeah i'm ready okay still still ready <laughs> all right it. monsters um <laughs> so these other uh, silver age slides a lot of this is basically uh contrasting superman with other things so he's contrasted with other heroes he's contrasted there's a really good issue where it's just clark kent interviewing lex luther in jail and it's basically lex luther explaining why he hates superman uh and that essentially the reason he did all this the reason he he chose to set up this plot that would eventually kill Superman is because he looked in the mirror and he realized he was aging. He had crow's feet and that Superman wasn't aging. And so 
the direct quote is, uh, so if I want to die happy, it's time to get serious about killing Superman, which is pretty great. <laughs> okay. And so it's this idea where he's saying, like, look, think of all the amazing things I could have done were I not putting all of my intellect and time into killing Superman. That's a pretty existential question for Lex Luthor, because he really has devoted a lot of time to fighting Superman. Yeah. Well, yeah. Welcome to Grant yeah. Morrison. He's asking uh, existential questions while also having a prison riot rampage in which uh, Lex Luthor uses an audiobook robot that turns Moby Dick into a sonic drill that he can tunnel out of the prison. Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh-huh. I feel like that encapsulates what Morrison is doing. But there is also, mm-hmm. um, now Mo- Grant Morrison also has a complexity addiction. What happens here is there's one story which is set back when he was a super boy, when he was a teenager living in Smallville. Mm-hmm. Super teen. Super teen, indeed. So he has his powers and he has just started to be like super boy. He's got the costume, but he's hiding okay. it from everyone. He's there with his uh, mother and father, Ma and Pa Kent, and he's visited by... Um, Three farmhands that turn out to be supermen from the future, from the far, far future, the ones we saw in the time telescope. And uh, one of them has bandages on his face. One of them's a short little dude. Uh, and so it's, it's, and one just seems like he's got like an undercut and he looks very, very modern for the time. This would have been back in the day. And what ends up happening is they fight a monster called a chronovore, which fights its way backwards in time and eats the history of something, which causes it to crumble to dust. And so these Whoa. People, it's pretty cool. It's th- think the weeping angels, but also if it was this existential monster made of like different sound effects and like bits of arms and teeth and stuff. It's very cool. So then the three farmhands reveal themselves as these future supermen and they tell young Superboy to stay out of the fight. Their job is to make sure he does not fight this chronovore. And so they start fighting it instead. And of course, him being Superboy. Uh, he can't help but jump in and help them. Okay. And what is explained in the narration is that Superboy, by fighting the Chronovore, he is hit three times, and that eats three seconds of his life. Okay. In, in those three seconds, Pa Kent has a heart attack and dies. Oh. So, and then you see, you see this, and when Superboy is fighting the monster, he realizes he can't hear his father's heartbeat and flies back to where he was well screaming that he can save him he can save everyone well wait, f- wait 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 he could is is just like hearing his dad's heartbeat a thing that just is going on all the time he, he's superman craig i guess you have super yeah he's superman craig he can do literally anything except as we've established kryptonite except when he can and Flying too close to the sun. Yeah. That sounds maddening. This, this gets to my, like, problem with Superman is, like, here, question question for you about Superman. Why are he so boring, though? Like, how do you create, <laughs> how do you create tension for a character who can do literally anything without, like, just inventing some new thing where actually he's super weak to flying too close to the sun? Like, how do you? It sounds like the only way to introduce tension in Superman's story is to, like, retcon stuff. I don't know. Well, like, I, that's, a, get, that's a pretty common the, criticism of Superman, is. right? Is that he's just, like, can do everything, and so what? Yeah. I'll give you the TLDR version of an answer, which is that the the reason Superman can be interesting is not that he is restricted from doing stuff. It's that he won't—there are some things he won't do. 
a good Superman writer makes it so that he literally could do anything, but probably shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, so there's like a moral limit on on his exactly, powers. because he's a hero. He could do everything, but probably shouldn't. As in, he could kill every villain that he meets in a split second, but he doesn't want to. Because he's, he could like kill all of us so that none of us get in trouble ever again. That's yeah. a thing he could do. <laughs> exactly. And for an example of that, you can read a series called Irredeemable, which is an alternate Superman that posits just that, and it's really dark and not that oh, great. No. Okay. Oh no. Yeah, just imagine no. him just punching people apart, like get out of the way of that car, Jimmy. I'm stop helping it. you. I'm helping <laughs> you. I'm helping you. You're a danger to yourself. I'm helping. Yeah, by dropping okay. an asteroid on your city, I've actually made things slightly better for the rest of the world. No bad okay um, there were yeah there were drug dealers there i killed them all yeah okay yeah. but it with the, the the resolution to this the superman story with pa kent dying is that it's revealed that one of the supermen from the future the one with the bandages on his face was actually the current superman the one who was dying from flying too close to the sun he okay found a way to travel back and essentially be with his father just and say goodbye just before he dies and while we've been kind of ripping on it pretty hard it's actually an incredibly affecting moment in the book it's this idea that um it was so formative for young superman that he couldn't save everyone and now dying superman goes back and sees it as this moment that changed him is Hmm. superman so like superman and the kents know that he's like an adopted space boy right like they're all on the up and up about that Yes, completely. I feel like that's an element of Superman that doesn't get talked about as a like representation of adopted children. Like that could be a cool thing for you if you are not living with your birth parents and like there's Superman being a superhero. That could be a cool thing. Oh, it's it's know. actually yeah, it's discussed in there's there's a couple of series that I actually haven't read. There's one that deals with it as Superman as sort of the ultimate immigrant story. Sure. Okay. And, um, there's, there's, I know there's one with the title of American Alien, and there uh-huh. are a few others that uh, kind of posit how things could have been different had he landed somewhere like, you know, Soviet Russia. Does Grant Morrison deal with the whole truth, justice in the America way thing? Because, like, we're, we got a deficit of that, and maybe Superman should come back and he help does. us out. This is a Superman who is hopeful and good. And does the right thing and loves humanity and is kind of like all of these different things where it's comparing each story is sort of comparing Superman against something else. So he's being compared against Lex Luthor. He's being compared against these against Atlas and Samson, who are these kind of blowhard strongmen. And he's Mm -hmm. being compared against there's even a whole couple of issues, which I actually really don't like, which is (laughs) where he goes to visit the Bizarro planet, which and Bizarro is of course, the reverse of Superman. And they also have things like they have a reverse Flash who can't, who moves super slow because of friction. And they have a reverse Green Lantern. That seems like the worst power. <laughs> oh, it is. And that's that's the point. Uh, and then they have okay. Bizarro Batman who doesn't exist because he was shot in an alley by his parents. Oh, I thought he was going to be poor, but he, he was killed in the alley. Okay. Yeah, so he doesn't exist. So there are all these things that contrast his Superman. His parents became Batman. Bat <laughs> Stop. People. You joke. Reverse, revert the old reverse Batman. You joke, but that happened in Flashpoint, and it was really bad. No, I'm okay. sure it's happened. I'm sure every dumb comic book thing that I could come up with has happened. Quantum That's comics. <laughs> yep. Um, so this Superman is someone who does good for that reason. And there's a whole issue that is told out of order. 
where there is oh, okay. some stuff where he's writing his will. There's some stuff early on where he's like doing experiments and and finds a way that like he takes the and it's a long story and the inhabitants of the bottle city of Candor who are microscopic and brings them to to Earth as microscopic and uses them to cure kids with cancer. And uh, throughout this story, there like he saves a train and he's shown as being able to hear like cell phone conversations. And at one point, Creepy. he's hearing he's hearing someone on the train who's frantically trying to talk to someone named Reagan, who's frantically saying, like, look, look, no, the train stopped, but I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm going to be there, don't worry, I'm coming, just stop, and the phone conversation cuts off. And then I'll ask you to open that page I sent you, named Reagan. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's a young woman on the top of a building, and she's shown dropping her phone off the building. And without warning, Superman is suddenly there, and he puts his hand on her shoulder and says, your doctor really did get held up, Reagan. It's never as bad as it seems. You're much stronger than you think you are. Trust me. And he hugs her. And I'm ugh, I'm getting choked up. This panel's been used by a lot of people who have been very shook up, and rightfully so, by the events that have been happening in America in the past month or so. And sure. it's held up as this, well, as frankly, as this example that you're stronger than you think, and we can get through this. And we... We can help each other, which is really the the root of the goodness of Superman. He came from space to show us that we could all help each other. Yeah. Space That's Jesus. <laughs> well, I mean, he came from space because he was a baby and they shot him here from there. Well, that's that's true. And I'm glad he like figured out how to make that meaningful. Yeah. yeah. So like, wh- how does this, Lucas, how does this work as a like, you've talked a lot about how this references a lot of other Superman stories, mm-hmm. but I know that there some of their intent was to kind of create a continuity, like agnostic Superman. Like, yeah. so how does it succeed in that? I know that you seem to have a knowledge of it where that's, that might be hard to assess. Well, I think it, even with the knowledge that I brought to it, and I'll, I'll step in and say that if you really want an in-depth analysis of this, uh, the, on, there's a podcast called Into It with L. Collins, and a guy named Kieran Shiak, who is someone who also runs another comics podcast, came on, and they had like a two-hour discussion where they really broke down everything about this. Cool, and cool. I'd recommend people go and check that out, because it's much better than my kind of random flailings on a Sunday morning. So I think that when you're looking at this as a continuity-free thing, it works about 80% of the time. Sure, sure. Some of it is bogged down. Like I said, the Bizarro stuff I find interminable because uh, it's it's such a deep reference and it commits so fully to that reference that it almost stops being a story at that point. And it becomes yeah. just, let's hear Grant Morrison play with how Bizarros speak and how the Bizarro concept and create a Bizarro Bizarro named Zibarro, who nope. is... Uh, not who is not actually a normal person, but close enough that he feels the lack because he's like a he's like when you put uh, English and Jap- into Japanese and then back to English and then back to Japanese and by the end you've got something that's completely different. So again, there's a little bit of that kind of disappearing up its own butt. I also really really like. I just want to say I really like his pizza. Zipporo, <laughs> Andrew. <sighs> so when it comes to. <laughs> I'm going to try and recover. I, you know, puke and rally. Keep going. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So so it works some of the time in in this kind of Ur-Superman way. Exactly. So it's like by reading this 12 issues, you will get 
the entirety of what's happened to Superman, but you also just get this fairly deft and complicated and interesting story because, you know, for all of his uh, complexity addiction and some of his self-important nature, Grant Morrison is also a good writer at the base sure. of it. Okay. And he's got a great ear for dialogue and story. Uh, and so it is both a good story, but also an incredibly deep story the more you look at it. And the uh, it's a very good ending that is also an incredibly meta ending because, again, Grant Morrison, I'm not going to spoil it. I'd recommend go reading it. Um, a, a sign that this is a lasting good comic book series is that mm-hmm. it is never, ever discounted. You sure. never see it in a bargain bin. Like okay. even the digital version that I bought on Comixology uh, – stays at 20 bucks and is 20 bucks forever because they know hmm. they'll never need to mark it down. Um, so if somebody, so somebody who is interested in like getting into Superman or like getting into comics in general, like, is this the one you'd point them to? Like I know with Batman, cause I've like gone down this path a little bit. Like there are three or four that get recommended to people to like get them into the, into the franchise. It's like, Long Halloween and like Dark Knight and, and Killing Joke, one. I think. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Killing Joke's on that list usually. Like there, there are a few you can find them pretty easily if you Google. Mm. But like, is this that for Superman, or are there other Superman comics that do that better? Uh, yes and no. I would say if someone told me, "Hey, I hated that Man of Steel movie. Superman's dumb," and I said, "Okay, well, if you wanted to know why Superman is good and why Superman is capital I important, I would hand them this story." There are other okay. stories that I would hand someone to be like, okay, this is your introduction to superhero comics. This is not that. However, if you wanted this crystallization of why is why are there still being Superman stories written in this, the year of our Lord, 2016, this would be the one I would hand them. Okay, that's useful. Because I feel like Superman, he's, he's as you said, he's been around for so long and he's meant a lot to a, a lot of different things in a lot of different ways to a bunch of people um and and also helped kick start an entire industry so like he is not without his baggage and he's not without a lot of different you know takes on him mm-hmm. um so that sounds like yeah all right this this sounds like a good way to good way to get into that yeah and and just as a postscript it's it's one of those texts without ever not being a comic book superhero story. It's not ashamed okay. of itself in any way, which I think would be a nice button to put on the end of that. Cool. All right. Hmm. Well, uh, Lucas, if they want to know a little bit more about your podcast, where should folks go? Okay, well, my podcast, The Math of You, where I interview people about formative media from when we were young, can be found by going to iTunes and searching The Math of You, or you can go to Twitter at the Math of You. Uh, although we are currently on hiatus, we had 16 episodes in the last uh, four months or so. Very happy mm-hmm. I did not miss a deadline in 16 episodes. That's uh, important. And we are going to be starting up in the new year. You can also go to themathofyou.com. I do basically I interview people, <clears throat> and we talk about stuff that influenced them. But it's really an excuse for a freewheeling conversation about stuff that people love. Cool. Uh, so after I have this conversation, I also design a custom cocktail for the guests and put it up at themethofyou.com. 
which is currently just an adjunct to my photography site, but it's really just sort of the basis of the RSS. Uh, I've also got a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, which is also the same username where you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram. So if you want to follow my wacky adventures and hear me rant about comic books and uh, yell about Rogue One and eat lots of ridiculous things, uh, that's where you find me. That sounds like a good thing for Twitter. That sounds like what Twitter is all about. <laughs> uh, you can follow that us. and like racism. And, yeah, well, and stuff. Uh, yeah. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Overdue Pod. Uh, you can find our website. Andrew, what is it? It's overduepodcast.com. That also website. has our email. I'm doing all out of order. It's a bonus episode. Things are weird. Uh, our email is overduepod <laughs> at gmail.com. There's stuff on the web on the website. Andrew. On the website. Help me. Why? Help me, Peter Parker. Whenever we do one of these in the afternoon, I think we've talked about this before. It's always like loopy as hell. Like it's like I've never recorded a podcast <laughs> before in my life. Like I just don't. It's so hard. Okay, um, go. So up there on that website, we have links to iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher and our RSS feed. You can use all of those to subscribe to the show. Do rate and review us on iTunes. We keep getting a steady trickle of those, and we it helps other people find the show. Um, thanks to Bustle for do it for including us in a roundup of like good book podcasts. Uh, pretty recently, I, I don't know when we're going to release this, but it was in December, and it really. Like I think we picked up a lot of new people, so, so welcome, welcome new yeah. listeners, and yeah, thanks for thanks for stopping by. Um, what else? We've got our Patreon page, patreoncom Um We've got links to the books we have read and the ones we're going to read. Um, I think that's pretty much it. That's pretty much everything. This is a podcast at a time. It should be hitting you sometime in December. Lucas, thanks <laughs> so much for being here and for giving us an intro to Superman. No problem, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right, everybody, don't fly too close to the sun and also try to be happy. That was a headgum podcast.